Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Butter With That, a podcast where some friends from Philly get together to talk movies. We're going to be covering an entire franchise today, which is kind of a, a big thing, which uh, if you've read the title, you know what you're in store for. But before we get to that, um, how is everyone doing? Uh, has anybody seen anything they'd like to talk about? Anything that uh, has really piqued their interest? And of course, uh, a quick acknowledgement, Christine is not here. She is training to be a Padawan uh, off on a different planet. So uh, she'll be joining us next week, probably. I think she could rock the Padawan braid, I think. Yeah. If anyone, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If, any, if anyone here could, it would Christine be her. all the way. She yeah. would also have some great like lightsaber choreography, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I can Probably. just like picture it right now. <laughs> the flip suspense. So good. I saw a movie that was pretty surprising. Uh, and that was Birds of Prey, the Harley Quinn movie. That, that came out to pretty much a theatrical thud in February. Um, I thought it was pretty good. It was the probably the first DC movie since the Nolan trilogy that I was like on board that I like recommend that I really enjoyed watching. Like I thought Shazam was okay, but I really thought Birds of Prey Wonder was Woman? really good. Oh, Wonder Woman. I totally forgot about that. You yes, Wonder Woman. Out. Wonder Woman and Birds of Prey. <laughs> I liked Birds of Prey too. I thought it was really well done. And the end, like the final battle scene, battle, mm-hmm. uh, the fight scene was so good. Yeah, and it kind of does a fun thing with like the timeline, like it goes back and forth, sort of trying to tap into the Deadpool energy of like narration, some fourth wall breaking, um, but nothing that felt like too distracting and, you know, kind of helped with the pace, of, you know, just kept a nice pace with the movie. Garrett was like, should we watch Suicide Squad before we watch this? And I was just like, I already have seen pictures of Jared Leto as the Joker. I don't need to see it play out. (laughs) It's kind of funny. They have someone who is as tall as Jared Leto wearing the same wig as Jared Leto, but you only see shots from behind, like very, like just like that. And that's it. Even that might be so much. So he's less of this movie than his complaint about the previous one. Mm -hmm. God. (laughs) I don't think I'll ever see Suicide Squad. Maybe yeah. only for the pod would I do it. It's rough. It's a rough I movie. I don't think I would do it for you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so many other movies. I just don't have the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I watched something really good right before recording. We decided to watch the first episode of Lovecraft Country, which was really awesome. Um, I was super excited about it. I haven't actually read the book before, but um, it seems like there's been a theme lately of like inserting uh, people of color and like having like POC folks like directing Lovecraft stuff. And I'm all on board with them taking over that racist piece of shit stuff. So, uh, very yeah. good episode. So, yeah. I mean, I guess all his stories are public domain, probably at this point. Yeah, I'm not sure. But, like, like Color Out of Space, like, the, at the beginning of the year, the Nick Cage movie, like, they made the narrator, like, a black man, which is, like unheard of for Lovecraft and then there's um I just read this book by my one of my favorite sci-fi writers uh called The City We Became by N.K. Jemison, which was fantastic which is also very similar her like writing about Lovecraft and you know using like his racism as a fuel to you know also have like creepy creatures and shit so it's pretty cool friend of the show Tom and I were talking about this a lot and our excitement for it Oh, cool. That's good. I was literally going to say, friend of the pot, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Former guest. Yeah. And it came out on his birthday. How about that? Mm -hmm. 
I wished him a happy birthday and said, I hope that the, the old ones don't like, or the old ones like don't destroy us today. And he just liked it and didn't just say anything. I was like, God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't really been watching movies, but I have been watching this TV show called Grantchester. I cannot remember if I've talked about it on here (laughs) already, Uh, but it is great. Uh, There are five seasons I've watched four of the five season. Number five is Sadly, not on Amazon Prime just yet. Uh, I have to either, like, purchase the season, which, like, okay, I guess maybe I will. Uh, but, like, like yeah. I don't want to do it, you know? Um, but it's so good. It's so, so like, um, every week is some kind of mystery. Somebody dies, something's stolen, and you have to solve it. And I'm having a really great time trying to figure it out. Um, what I've come to learn is that I'm a fucking dumbass and I can't figure anything out. So that's great. Um, and I would definitely recommend it, especially if you just like, if you like British dramas anyway, so good. I love thinking about like how, like, I feel like I'm terribly like not perceptive at all in movies or shows. Like I'm just so in the moment of it that I can't predict what's going on. Yeah. Uh, we were watching The Rental with a Friend, that new Dave Franco's new movie that just came out. And like every 10 minutes, she's like, oh, I bet this is going to happen. And then the next scene that happened. And then the ending, like, I was like, stop doing that. I like right? It pisses you off, though. My roommate was doing that with one one of the last episodes we watched. And I was like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Why it's, a mix- it's a mixture of like impressed and also... It was funny because it's one of those movies, too, where, like, stuff can be, like, like there'll be a conversation and then something creepy will happen in the background that's, like, quick or it's small, so it's hard to see. And so we were watching it, and I'd react, and Garrett was like, did, did something just happen? <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, what? You didn't see that creepy thing? That movie? I really liked that movie a lot, but it was, there was a lot of stuff like that. Well, I just recently saw um, and finally got around to seeing uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. It's now available on Netflix. Um, man, that movie's a knockout. That movie was fantastic. I really kind of went into it blind, not knowing what to expect, other than that I knew that there was going to be, like, this convergence of different universes and stuff and, like, different characters brought into the mix. But I didn't expect it to do such a good job of allowing each individual character from each respective universe so much time and uh, and really flushing out that scenario and also just was, like on the verge of tears for most of the movie and visually it's spectacular. It took some getting used to because of it's like extremely unique animation style. But once, uh, you, once it does a good job of building where that should focus your attention within a shot and stuff like that, it really becomes a pretty unforgettable movie. So I would say, uh, yeah, but sorry to have, uh, to have not gotten to that one sooner. And Connor, I know that that was a, a big one for you. Um, the year it came out 2018, I believe. Uh, yeah, that was think, my movie of the year. Right. Which, uh, looking back, I, I'd give that a second thought. I mean, I, I would put that on the list. That's a really, really great movie. I also watched something else that was really weird. It's that American Pickle movie. <laughs> Have you heard of this? Wait, yeah, okay. How was it? It was, like, actually pretty cute. And, like, like there was, like, some moving stuff in it. It's, like, it's like a maybe three-star movie for me, probably. But, like, you know, it was, like, weird and funny. Like, it's an insane concept. But, yeah. I usually... Yeah. Really enjoy Seth Rogen. Yeah, things. yeah. And he's playing against himself. It's pretty fun. <laughs> well, uh, I suppose that'll lead us then into today's discussion. Um, 
which I think is uh, this. This may be one of the fabled uh, butter blowouts that uh, that we've talked about before in the past. Something that might uh, might come from a range of different opinions, and that is because we were talking about uh, Star Wars, and within Star Wars, we were talking about a, uh, a, a as I framed it, a defense of not defending the prequels. I think I've seen a lot of stuff recently where um, within the past maybe like four or five years where people have gone back and have found new substance to these films or or maybe perhaps people that are a little younger than I am who have, have like a nostalgia connection to them, which I think is, you know, it's, it's interesting as it is valid. But um, for me, as uh, as I think I'll explore and as I think we'll find throughout the podcast doesn't uh, doesn't make up for uh, these movies in and of themselves. But uh, of course, before we start, uh, we just want to say, uh, and I say to you know my fellow hosts as well as the audience, nothing personal. This is just a matter of taste. It's something that I am not into, but uh, we're going to hear a range of opinions on. And I think the best way to do that, because I've heard that uh, amongst uh, yourselves, there are some things that you've you found substance and value to among these movies. So I, I would, I think, like to explore each movie starting there and then um, with, a, I guess, my own contrary perspective, if that sounds good to everybody. Sounds good. Cool. Well, that brings us then, of course, to the first of the prequels. Now, this is after, uh, of course, the original trilogy, the first three movies. This sets us back as a prequel uh, to the story of Anakin Skywalker, that beginning with episode one, The Phantom Menace, uh, came out in 1999 and uh, received pretty mixed acclaim. Uh, I think the popular opinion is is that it is the worst of the prequel movies. Uh, We'll see if we all feel that way. But uh, before we get into uh, any kind of problems with it or any kind of criticisms, what are some things about this movie that worked? What is uh, what, what caught our eye and what stays with us after all these years? I may have gone too far in a few places. This one out of, so I watched about 75% of Phantom Menace in one night. Had to stop. And then I finished it and watched Attack of the Clones and then Revenge of the Sith the next day. So kind of marathoning all three. Phantom Menace hit that nostalgia button the most for me. Hmm. I was uh, six years old when Phantom Menace came out. So I was kind of like right in that toy movie kind of like demographic. Like that, that movie, like parts of that movie were made specifically for like six year olds. Uh, I did a whole presentation on the Phantom Menace because we had to do like a kind of tri-board presentation um, for like, and we all had different topics. I did like the Phantom Menace. I remember like going on starwars.com when it kind of was like first launching and like downloading all these images. Uh, I had so many of the toys. I had, uh, the Naboo Starfighter was my favorite, the games on the Nintendo 64, like the whole marketing push, um, for that game and all the products made associated with it. And episode one pod racer being one of my favorite racing games ever, uh, which just got a re-release on the Nintendo switch that apparently is really good still. Um, so watching it, and seeing the characters and the locations definitely was like, I felt that wave of nostalgia that I did not quite feel for the other two. So that was kind of a fun part of it. Okay. Connor, I think I had that too. I remember like, I loved watching the original movies with my dad. And so when Phantom Menace came out, it was really exciting. Like the idea of like going to be able, like being able to go and see a Star Wars in theaters, like with my dad. Mm -hmm. And I remember at CVS, they sold like Anakin's diary and Padme's diary, like a booklet. And I bought the Padme one and was like really into it and stuff. And I dressed up like her for Halloween, like that following like fall and everything. So definitely like had that going for me too. Um, I, I probably think this is like the most boring of them all. But like it now, like I rewatched it, I think at Christmas and 
you know, like I like, um, I like Darth Maul as just like visually as like a, a Sith and also like think he's just a cool character in general. Um, I actually do like the lightsaber battle at the end with him. I think there's some cool visuals there. And I forget what that guy's name is, the actor that plays him, but like, like some of those like jumps and shit he, d- he does are just like very cool to like actually watch. Um, but yeah, it's definitely on the boring side to me. And then there's also the really horrifying age difference between Padme and Annie that like just has me gagging like the entire time I'm watching it. <laughs> so, Are you an angel? It's so icky, but she's like, but like, I, I like her character. Like, I think, you know, there's some maybe acting issues we'll talk about overall, but like, I think Padme is an interesting character and whether they always like do her justice or not in these movies, I, she's cool. And the switcheroo stuff she does actually kind of works for me. Like rewatching it, I was like, oh, this stuff I like still kind of like, like, I think that's fun, but Yeah. (laughs) Um, I have nothing good to say about this movie, so... <laughs> Let the hate flow through you. <laughs> like, we should just, like, move into Dave's critique. There's li- uh, nothing, absolutely nothing I like about this movie. Not one thing. Not one single thing. Um, can I bring up one more thing that I just remembered that I liked? Sure. The title crawl had no all-caps words, unlike The Rise of Skywalker, which oh. had nine. <laughs> I think, and I remember, I think only Revenge of the Sith has a has an all-caps word. I think all the other ones are lowercase oh, entirely. So I thought that was, I don't know, that just popped into my brain as I was watching them. Was well, that like a proper noun thing? Is that also the case with the original films? That they have occasionally fully capitalized words? I don't remember. Yeah, I think episode mm-hmm. one has, or uh, A New Hope maybe has mm-hmm. like two, like empires and like an all caps. Right. Um, I like and- the idea of someone typing it like as it's going along and just like putting in those caps in the moment, like Sith. <laughs> <laughs> the dead rise. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, I guess that'll lead us into uh, into my thoughts on The Phantom Menace. And uh, I actually have fewer notes on this movie than the other ones, uh, I guess, in a sense. It's um, so bad. It's like... <laughs> it's, really, it's really pretty bad. Um, I mean, my, my big question to a degree is what is it about? And I think there's, there's not really a proper answer, which is the movie's fault. I mean, it, it, is it Anakin slash Vader's... Uh, or origin story? Uh, and if so, why do we meet the protagonist a third of the way through the film? Uh, why do we begin at his childhood? Um, why doesn't he have any active agency in determining the events of the film? Uh, and if it's not about Anakin, what is it about? Is it about trade tariffs and the Galactic Federation, the Galactic Senate? Uh, is it a, about a queen who we learn practically nothing about because of a princess in the pauper scenario? So we're constantly left to wonder which of them we're actually seeing. Uh, or is it about a senior Jedi training his Padawan apprentice only to learn nothing about him and to have him die at the end via Qui-Gon Jinn? So it's just a movie that that doesn't seem to, to to know where to rest its hat in terms of being about anything at all, other than it being the beginning of Anakin Skywalker, which we only get a little bit of. There Baffling. is something, yeah, there is something interesting, I think, that I picked up on watching it this last time that, um, after Qui, like before Qui-Gon dies, um, he's like, oh, I want you to be the, like you to train Luke or whatever, or not Luke, Anakin. Anakin, yeah. Um, and he's like, kind of like, mm, I don't know. 
this doesn't seem like a good idea. Like this like kid's pretty young and this is all weird. And then like, of course, like after Qui-Gon dies, he like feels the responsibility to like take over for him. But I think that's like an interesting aspect that like is going on throughout their relationship. Like in as the movies go on and as you see them like in Clone Wars, just these like two characters who like, he just like never really wanted to train him and always thought it was a bad idea. And like, they just have to go through the motions after that. And I think that's super interesting. And then to that end, so did the Jedi council. They were like, yeah. oh, there's a lot of hatred in this kid. I don't know if this is a very good idea, but I guess Qui-Gon's dead, this character we don't know about. <laughs> so we better go ahead and make this sentimental decision mm-hmm. that could doom us all, even though they're Jedi and might know that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, all weird. So I have questions about that. There's also uh, a lot of questions I have, too, about, like, Darth Maul, who um, I think, and this is something I think we'll probably return to when we discuss um, Revenge of the Sith, is we have a really visually striking character that we learn nothing about but serves and serves no function other than lightsaber battles. Like, you, you, there's no there's no real... Do- As I recall, he doesn't say anything, does he? Mm. There's and, a like, scene where they're, like, Palpatine... Spoiler alert, the Emperor, or Sidious is Palpatine, um, which is ah. <laughs> super obvious the whole time. Um, that they're, they, I think they talk for like two minutes on like a balcony, hmm. and that's it. Yeah, and I guess I just don't really like... I, I guess I don't understand what this character's in, motivations are or who his allegiance is to other than opposing the Jedi, but how that intersects with... The council, which is led by a double agent who is also a Sith, it's like it's it's all it's all elements and no answers. There's also a whole thing to it about aside from him as the obvious antagonist. The the other antagonists are battle droids. Just one of our battle droids, actually. Battle oh, droids. That, look at this! This oh, is cool. this is the new stormtrooper. Oh, this man. is our new stormtrooper. But in a way, he's the old model replaced by Star Wars being the new stormtrooper. Yeah, because. What you don't realize is that these guys really are not very efficient. They, uh, these things, you know, Jedi cut them down like they're butter, and they really are pretty useless. So it's like, well, then, if, if, if the antagonist of your movie is someone I don't know about or easily destroyed battle drones, then what is this movie and why sh- what, what are the stakes? Roger, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just so easily destroyed. I know it's so funny. It's it's like you just get to watch like a like in theory a lot of violence without any like bloodshed. <laughs> yeah, also, not a lot of care. Like, all right, I know. <laughs> well, and the droidicas are super effective. The spinning ones with the shields, yeah, they have, like so, yeah. ten million of those. Yeah. Well, that's like a thing that like in like Clone Wars they develop where you have like these droids that like work above them that are like really good like strategists and shit and I'm like that's cool as fuck like why is that not a thing here like why why couldn't you make smart robots like in this far in the future I don't understand yeah and I think Clone Wars is going to come up a lot I've got a little bit saved uh for the end as regards that that series and it's it's kind of like after the fact impact on this franchise. But at any rate, as regards the droids in this movie as a completely ineffectual army fighting for whom we don't necessarily know. And the other being a Sith Lord that we learn nothing about. This movie kind of gives you nothing to work with as far as antagonists for a movie titled the Phantom Menace. It's like, I remember even as a kid being disappointed when Darth Maul died at the end, because I was like, well then who am I like watching them fight? 
for like the, the other movies that happen after this. Yeah, it's, it's not like Ray killed Kylo Ren at the end of episode uh, seven, at the end of Force Awakens. You're just like, oh shit, now I have to like care about other people? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, at least, and you, and you brought up Clone Wars, at least Darth Maul's death gave us the gift of his present, of him being like the main, one of the main antagonists in that Yeah, show. that's, all that's cool. I mean, yeah, I mean, we can talk about Clone Wars slightly separately, Dave, if you want to, but like, but yeah, it's like, you know, we got a lot of gifts after the fact, but. <laughs> mm-hmm. I have so many things to say about this movie. Um, and Dave, you hit a lot of them, but something I hope we talk about is how racist this movie is. I mean, they all are, but like, Jesus Christ, this started and I was like, holy fuck. That's exactly what I was about to talk about. Oh, no, I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, because you're exactly right. Yeah, the movie begins with the, the Trade Federation Viceroys. And this is the beginning of a, a star, the new, the first in the Star Wars uh, prequels. Whereas in the original, we're treated to uh, a rebel blockade ship running from a Star Destroyer and all this tension. Darth Vader is introduced. It's this really like movement with a lot of gravitas. And we learn a lot about the reality within the first few minutes. In this, it's an... Uh, it's kind of a discussion about uh, trade federation blockades, trade tariffs as regards to the Galactic Senate through these characters that sound like this. As you know, our blockade is perfectly legal and we'd be happy to receive the ambassadors. It's it's incredible like that that this was greenlit in this condition, like that that we have these kind of like... I do see where it connects to George Lucas's like own personal history of film because he was a big fan of like Flash Gordon and those kind of like 1950s things where it's like that you had a lot of like these Fu Manchu archetypes that were at the time culturally insensitive but to see it employed in 1999 when you made a less racist movie in 1977 is crazy Mm -hmm. I mean that's like a thing when I look back on like late 90s early 2000s movies in general where I'm like oh man there's like a lot of weird racist homophobic shit that like seems more overt than stuff made like years before it sometimes and it's so crazy like uh we watched like Freddy versus Jason and he's so fucking racist in that movie and you're like like this wasn't really a thing throughout the series with Freddy why is this being introduced now yeah it's so bad and you could have just not done that right like he didn't Yes. Have to no, do it. He didn't. <laughs> and that's carried a step further, of course, with what a lot of people will say is like, oh, well, besides Jar Jar, these are good movies, which I also disagree with. But Jar Jar is a key to all this. If we get Jar Jar working, because he's a funnier character than we've ever had in any of the movies. Because he's my, he's not my biggest problem with these movies. My problem is like the storytelling being an entirely disjointed mess. Um, but he's also reprehensible too. I mean, like he's basically, uh, just sort of a minstrel character, uh, that kind of, kind of like buffoonishly banties his way about to becoming a general by the end of the first movie. It's like really pretty reprehensible and disgusting stuff for 1999 or by that token really ever he got what the is saying he's embarrassing well what also sucks about that too though is that like because star wars has like a fairly toxic side to its fandom like that mm-hmm. actor has had like the worst time of it in years since and i think disney plus is making a show with him 
Um, and I forget exactly what it's supposed to be about, but it's just like, man, Star Wars fans, if they do not like you, they will fucking destroy you. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing with baby Anakin. Like, his- uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Kelly Marie Tran. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So sad. Yeah. But yeah, basic question. I mean, Jake Lloyd, um, he's, he's given a non-part in this movie. He's Dennis, he's Dennis the menacing his way through the galaxy in this goddamn movie. <laughs> But which is supposed to be the, the the like foundational beginnings of Anakin Skywalker, which we can't really learn anything about him or his relationship with Padme because of the age difference and him being a child and not having any agency as a character. And then, like, I, I guess, you know, after the fact, because this movie was in a lot of ways so reviled by the fan base, it pretty much ruined his career, which is really a bummer because, like, you you can get any kid actor to play this part and it's still going to be this movie. Yeah. No, no, he was not the one to blame if you were going to blame someone. <laughs> right. I take it. Yeah. You say action after we roll camera. I'll say action. You do. Some, some, sometimes I forget. People forget. <laughs> if I forget to say action or cut, just step in and say action and cut. I manage action and cut and faster and more intense. And then uh, mostly I sit there looking miserable and quiet. <laughs> um, have you guys watched this on Disney Plus? Yeah. Uh, yeah, because so I think Connor, you were the one who told me this. Um, I had like recently re- watched it, and I was like, God! But like the pod racing scene just like went on forever. So it was, like, long, twenty minutes long. Connor, you told me that he made it longer for Disney Plus. Who wanted that? Who wanted it? The, the whole thing is that how are you going to top the pod race? Yeah. yeah, because it's pretty intense. I'll be exhausted by the time in the in the pod race. I'll be ready to go home. I don't get it. I, well, it's like the CGI they added to the, the original movie. Oh, like, that's right. not what we were asking for. They were fine. <laughs> well, and adding, it was a puppet Yoda, too. So in Disney Plus, it's right. a CG oh, yeah. model Yoda uh, from the next two movies that he put into this one for the Disney Plus. So weird. Which is a whole thing, too. I mean, that puppet, uh, you know, it's, it's still coming from the same source, which is like one of the most reputable puppet creation houses in the world um but it's still still something lacking in just the way it moves or something i don't know and i think maybe it's the fault of it being the only like puppet in the room it's it's like a puppet among um i guess what jake lloyd um liam neeson and uh ewan mcgregor and everyone else are these just sort of like weird cobbled together cg (laughs) monsters in the same frame and this movie really struggles with that in in the sense that we see we do see in this first one as opposed to the other two a lot of puppetry and a lot of actual practical effects but they're also completely surrounded by an oversaturated screen that is full of cg monsters that don't exist in the same physical sense that these puppets do nor do the actors one thing that cg that really bothered me in this one was the during the final duel when they're in like the largest power generator in the universe, like this enormous thing with all these electrical tubes going up and down, all these like barrack, I don't know, all these like bridges. This is like, feels like such an overwrought like idea of like they're fighting this power generator room. When like, why not divert mm-hmm. some of those resources to like, apparently Naboo is starving, this beautiful, lush planet <laughs> with about 50 white people and two black guys. <laughs> it's like devastated by this army invasion. Um, but yet you don't see any of it. You see these pristine palaces. You see nobody has like any cuts or bruises or like yeah. no one's hungry. <laughs> it's like, 
it just like the resource management just feels like so like the priority is just not great no you know what I do like about this movie and I remember it from that scene at the end is I actually do like the score to this movie I feel like that helps with a lot of at, like, as the movie's progressing, I even think it helps that end battle be, like, better, too. It just, like, does have, like, good music playing. You know a movie's bad when, like, one of the only things you can say is, it has a good score. <laughs> that's not true, because the score is very important to me. Oh, so that's, like, that's a very good compliment. <laughs> Same. There's, there's something about this movie that is, like, it has in common with Return of the Jedi. I don't like that movie either. I think it's, like, Uh, really really gimmicky, and it's just, like, childish. And I feel the same way, like, (laughs) so (laughs) in Phantom Menace, too, but it, like, worse. Everything I hated about Return of the Jedi, I was like, this is the whole movie. This sucks so much. And, and like, I know that everybody has, like, nostalgia for Return of the Jedi. I get it. Like, it's a good movie, but I just don't like it. Um, but there's... Not there's, even the finale when they're in the Emperor's throne room on the Death Star 2? And that final battle with Luke and Vader? No. And then he has, he says, like, <laughs> look at your friends no. dying. <laughs> uh, no. No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> It's, uh, it's a fine movie. It's just like the, the gimmicky parts, like when they're at like Jabba's, uh, like yeah. his club or whatever, I find that revolting. And I, and I feel the same way about Phantom Menace. Wow. And like 15 minutes into Phantom Menace, you hear Jar Jar Binks say, excuse me. I, yeah. I have no words. Jar Jar is a key to all this. <laughs> no <laughs> words. Yeah. No, what's crazy is like, so my little sister watched the new ones like with us, like we saw like Rise of Skywalker in theaters. And so then I was like, cool, like you should see the rest of the movies. And she saw the originals and didn't really like them that much. But then my dad's like, she really likes Phantom Menace. And I was like, oh, what the fuck? She likes trade embargoes? Like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Oh, but it weird. is interesting how that like I, I don't know what about it she likes like she's eight years old but it's like kids. it's meant for kids. yeah I, I guess <laughs> and it's definitely like I'm noticing uh, like an intergenerational perspective that is like a, a scenario yeah. in which you either grew up in the shadow of the original trilogy or you grew up yeah. watching new Star Wars unfold before your eyes without much context and you know that's fair enough but uh, I just feel like if you go back and watch the two shoulder to shoulder, then it's, you know, the, the difference in quality is inarguable, which is also like a kind of a thing. It's like, I guess there's this big online theory that, um, that, or, or Lucas has like to a degree confirmed this himself, that each of the movies is supposed to, in the prequel is supposed to mirror kind of beat by beat the original trilogy, as far as like the impact of certain sequences and stuff. You see the echo of where, it all is going to go. And instead of do- destroying the Death Star, he destroys the ship that controls the robots. Again, it's like poetry. It's sort of they rhyme. Mm-hmm. Every stanza kind of rhymes with the last one. Which, first of all, strikes me as like everyone's so pissed off, right, about uh, Force Awakens being um, a new hope. But it sounds mm-hmm. like all George did was like did a, a find and replace and word and change out the characters and somehow turned out something much worse. So mm-hmm. that I don't understand either. Yeah. It really just feels like he cracked this out in one weekend, and then this was it. Yeah. There you go. Like, here's your script. No, we'll draft one. Here we go. In a space of about 90 seconds, you know, you go from lamenting the death of 
you know, a hero, to escape, to slightly comedic with Jar Jar, you know, to mm-hmm. Anakin returning with his little kind of tag. It's a lot, and it, you know, it's a, and really, and it's a very short time. You cast, you have, I mean, this movie has a, most of these, you know, these movies have like great casts generally. Like why, like Ewan McGregor as a young Obi-Wan, like that feels like a perfect opportunity to have him be the protagonist of your franchise. Yeah. And in this first one, I think it's, it's the best work he does in the trilogy because he's really like channeling Alec Guinness. Like he's actually playing Obi, a young Obi-Wan. And I think that gets lost a little in the shuffle as the series goes on. But I think that's actually kind of Ewan McGregor seeing the writing on the wall of what this is, which I'll get back to. Wait a minute. How did this happen? We're smarter than this. But yeah, I guess that's that's all I had on, on Phantom Menace because it's a pretty forgettable movie for the most part, I guess, uh, unless anybody else has anything they'd like to add. It's not forgettable because it's fucking frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's true. Yeah. Um, but one other thing I have to say is like, not only is the writing terrible, not only is acting like subpar and the graphics are just like, you did them better in the 70s. Um, the like makeup and hair is also, like, there are moments where it's really great, but, like, the one moment where, um, like, one of the first times we see Obi-Wan, you could so clearly tell it's a wig, and then it changes, and then it's a wig again. My His hairstyle is all like, over the place. Oh. I was like, I can't focus on this because it's a stupid <laughs> wig. <laughs> I think uh, Phantom Menace does a really great job of setting up wasted potential in this trilogy. Um, setting Because I think George is trying to lay the groundwork for really good, a really like theme about um, how democracy can turn to imperialism, Mm -hmm. about how destructive war can be, uh, but just does it in the most like stupidest way possible. Charger is a key to all this. I may have gone too far. Um, So I think like the nugget that he's trying to like crack is a really good like way to build like a franchise around and like a trilogy, but he just can never ever get to it. Yeah. I think, uh, I think he, he had this idea where there was going to be like the shoulder to shoulder story of the rise of the, the fall of uh, the galaxy's senatorial democracy and the rise of the empire shoulder to shoulder with Anakin's character shift toward the dark side. But the diplomatic side of it, is never truly explained to any satisfying degree in these movies. And Anakin's story is also extremely choppy. And you also kind of have to pick a lane. Like this is either a character study of Anakin Skywalker's origins, or it's about the fall of the Senate and cramming the two together while writing both of them badly is a huge disservice to the entire idea. Yeah. Like if Obi-Wan was kind of like the protagonist of the Jedi plot and then Padme was the protagonist of the like Senate plot and how those two characters interact throughout the trilogy. Like that could be awesome. Or just never have a young Anakin. Always yeah. start with an older Anakin that we like get to see being like a Jedi more. Cause like that would be enjoyable. I don't think Attack of the Clones even references, maybe there's one reference to the events of a, the Phantom Menace, but I think that just shows how like we- well, There's the shit with his mom. Like, oh, that's yeah, like the they big... return to that. We'll return yeah. to that, yeah. Yeah. But, like, generally, that film, but even her being sold to Lars, that, like, we don't see that ever happening. Like, oh, great, Qui Gon, this great Jedi hero, just leaves his mother to die in slavery. <laughs> what yeah. a piece of shit. <laughs> Which is the whole thing. There's a We Hate Movies, there's a bit of the We Hate Movies episode on this, uh, this uh, particular installment on Phantom Menace where they're like, 
Look, the old characters wouldn't have tolerated this shit. Like, you think Han Solo is as reluctant hero as he is, and a smuggler wouldn't be like, oh, I'm going to get these slaves out of here because I'm a goddamn hero instead of Qui-Gon Jinn. He's too busy filling prophecies and shit. He doesn't care about anyone else. Which is the other thing that I did want to return to briefly, actually, before I forget, is midi-chlorians. Oh, how could we not talk about midi-chlorians? Midi-chlorians. It's a, it's a Star Wars blood test that we see one character in any of these movies take. And we're just told that oh, it's higher than Yoda's. So, oh, this must be a big deal. Even though we have no idea what anyone else's blood test results are in Star Wars. There's that like, cut scene of like, hey, what did you get on your midi-chlorine test? <laughs> it's like it's like the thing and all the blood vials are popping and going nuts. <laughs> Better movie. For sure. Um, oh, yeah. What if in Attack of the Clones, when the kids are training with like the helmets on, it's like that's like the, a blood test scene instead? Or Yoda's like pricking all of them? Uh, at any rate, I guess that's pretty much the, the scope and scale of The Phantom Menace, uh, which would then lead us into a movie... Uh, that followed it. And that's, uh, of course, episode two of the Star Wars saga and franchise, a movie which when Ewan McGregor was uh, doing a press junket, a tour for his uh, role in Moulin Rouge, uh, happened to be asked by an interviewer, hey, what do you think of the title of this uh, second installment of Star Wars, which he was already contractually obligated to? Because at the time he didn't know. Uh, And he just sort of said, oh, I don't know what it is. What is it? And uh, they said, Attack of the Clones. And reportedly he laughed and then said something to the effect of, are you serious? <laughs> the clones don't even attack until the final, like, 20 minutes of the movie. Uh, well, again, wasted potential of, okay, you got, you're doing 10 years later, new actors, Anakin, you have a chance to reset, and you still pick the wrong date in the timeline to start this movie. At. Yeah, the movie is fun. I'll say that. Yes, I agree. Right. I like it. It doesn't hurt me to watch it. I think I've seen this one the most because I do think it is the most watchable and fun of the three. Like we were at, we were at brunch one day a while ago. Cause you know, we haven't been able to do stuff like that uh, for eons, but uh, we were at brunch and attack of the clones was on and the woman changed it to Braveheart. And she was like, Oh, I figured this is better than attack of the clones. And Garrett and I looked at each other. We're like, I don't know. I kind of want to watch attack of the clones more than I want to watch Braveheart. <laughs> I wouldn't want to watch so, Braveheart while eating, but I do, yeah. I don't know. Otherwise. <laughs> um, so things I like about Attack of the Clones. Um, I like that Padme is a badass senator that gets to dress like a Disney princess at one moment and a dominatrix at another, and she's still very respected by everyone. Um, is, I she, like, is she by Anakin? Well, That's a different thing. Well, Anakin's still a child. He doesn't count. (laughs) Um, And so it's so gross. So many notes. But um, um, oh, I I love the concept of Detective Obi Wan. I think it's so funny to watch him like be like a detective trying to figure out shit because I sure as hell can't follow what's happening in Attack of the Clones with like how they got the clones and who it was. It is nonsense. We had to pause the movie last time and like be like, no, but they said this. And it's like, oh, I don't know. It could be this other thing. And I was like, no, this is ridiculous. I should not have to figure this out while I'm watching the movie. And and it's, 
it's, uh, it's the kind of thing too where like when he shows up he falls ass backwards into that plot via investigation which turns yeah. out to be like the inciting incident of the movie in a lot of ways and yeah it's basically like a, a situation where he's like oh there's 200,000 clones ready and a million more to go who ordered all these pizzas like, <laughs> where the fuck did these things come from what do you mean well and i think they're, they're such just a- hanging out here this whole time <laughs> There's such a missed opportunity to, as I was watching it, I was like, why the hell create this character called Sipho Dias that you only see, I think there's one episode of the Clone Wars where you see a hologram of him. Other than that, there's no visual reference for who this Jedi is. What if it was Qui-Gon and Dooku ordering this army? Or like there was something else going on with Qui-Gon that Obi-Wan had to unpack, like... Like, why, why do something brand new when you could try to tie something in that, like, is existing or that could yeah. give, like, an interesting character moment to Obi-Wan? If they have to start making a chart for me in the middle of the movie for me to follow all the plot points, that they need to just, like, abandon that plot. Like, that's just not working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but the I, I also think the end stuff is fun in this movie. I like... I I like them fighting those weird giant creatures. It feels like it all of a sudden becomes a kaiju movie. I like all the Jedi fighting in a big group because that's not a thing we get to see, like, ever. And then, like, I grew up with old Yoda. I never got to see what Yoda could do when he was spry, and that was dope back in the day. I was really excited about that as a kid. As a kid, I was very excited about that moment, too. That made that was like a big deal. Like everyone in the theater was like, oh, "Like what? He can do this?" And it's like, "Yeah, he's like a fucking Jedi master. Of course he can do this." Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm into all of that stuff. And Christopher <laughs> Lee, Christopher Lee is amazing, and one thousand percent commits to just being an evil villain. And he doesn't give a fuck that this isn't a good movie. He's given it his all. Like the actors they got for this, like how, you yeah. saw Phantom Menace, Christopher Lee. Like, come on, maybe he didn't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. He Even like, he strikes me as someone that just doesn't give a fuck. He's like, sure, <laughs> I'll play this evil guy. Great, <laughs> whatever. Well, I guess as regards Dooku, uh, Count Dooku, who is introduced in the opening scrawl of this movie to give us a framing device of who the antagonist of this movie is. Mm-hmm. We meet him like an hour and ten minutes into the movie. Yep. What what do you mean this is the antagonist of the movie now? <laughs> um, and also they had the, to they had to do auditions because they killed their other antagonist off so quickly that they were which just figuring every out every time. <laughs> <laughs> every time. Every time yeah. it's this looming threat that we learn nothing about that's killed off. We're like, wait, what? Why? Well, like, Where did it and, go? And if there's this like civil war happening and like. Like, I think if George wanted to talk about, like, how the hell can you have a government with thousands and thousands of planets, each of them with billions of people, like, how can that government function? And so I think that's, like, interesting story to be like, well, we don't want to follow Senate's rule. Like, we want to do our own thing. We don't want all these taxes or all this whatever. Like, we want to control ourselves. And, like, they say Dooku's, like, a political idealist, which, like, (laughs) doesn't really mean anything. Um, no, because I don't know the politics of this universe at all. Right. And so, like, <laughs> if there was some... And not everything has to have, like, Game of Thrones level of, like, intricate world building. But just some thought and some exposition up to, like, how does this government work? What is going on? Like, if you're going to make a political thriller, then make a political thriller. 
Exactly. If it's the foundation of your story, then you can't skimp on the details. So any other uh, any other kind of positive wrap up thoughts on Attack of the Clones before I kind of uh, just sort of like (laughs) dive into it? One of my favorite gifts of all time is, and I said this in the group chat, is Ewan McGregor when he's in the speeder in the Coruscant. Is like a gift of him in the deleted scenes, just like bopping back and forth. Uh-huh. It's probably, for me, the the one good thing this movie has given me. Is I think Ewan gift. McGregor knew, I think he's the one actor in this entire franchise that saw the writing on the wall and just kind of had fun with his part because yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. Um. I two things one um R2D2 is my favorite character in the whole Star Wars universe I feel like he really comes into his own in the prequels so like I I I really I fuck with that you know like I love that a lot um also controversial I I know I know he's like a whiny little edgelord but like I love Hayden Christensen I just like want to take him and like like snuggle like like just cuddle him a little bit and be like I know this is I I I get it I know people have been so mean to you um but you're snuggling a fascist (laughs) Hayden Christensen not Anakin (laughs) okay all right yeah Anakin and now we're not hugging Anakin. Christensen, <laughs> he he the hate that he got, but and he's still like so like he loves Star Wars, and I mean he came back to do the the voice in Rise of Skywalker, so like he still loves it. And there are rumors that he might um, be in the Obi Wan uh, Disney Plus show, like a little bit. So like I. I I know, and it's like not all his fault. Like I've heard oh, stories okay. of how bad. George Lucas is at like directing people with like his acting notes and stuff. And it's just like, I, like, I don't know everything about how Anakin's character is played feels so awkward and unauthentic. And it just has to be like a calamity of shit that like made it that way. You know, that should be the title of the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Episode two. Episode two. Um, Yeah. I mean, he's, Everyone in these movies. I mean, we have Ewan McGregor. He's great. He's a great actor. He's, in my opinion, not so great in these, but among the better actors in them or better performances. We have Natalie Portman, who's great. Um, she, I think, struggles through these movies. Uh, we have Sam Jackson, who can play like one of the more, em- he's one of the more emotive and like convincing actors in Hollywood when he's got the right part. But everyone is written so terribly that no one can shine. The movie doesn't rest in the dialogue. It rests in the visuals. Again, it's like poetry, so if they rhyme, charger. Oh, you know what else I like? What are the the aliens called that make the clones? Oh, the Mino. bug people? Oh. Kaminoans. I think they look so cool. I don't know why. Oh, wait, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I think they're like the dopest. They're so fucking tall, and they have those crazy outfits. I'm, I was very into them. That's a nice use of CG. They're pretty cool. Yeah, and they're, pretty they're, they're good. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. among because it is so like out of out of our own understanding mm-hmm. of like physics or or, or or species definition and so on. Yeah, as opposed to the rest of this movie where it's entirely CG sets that are supposed to be convincing and fail. The more real things you can get in your image, the more believable those images are, and you just have to sort of tweak them for, sort of on set or in post production. Yeah, so I think I think Camino, right. I think yeah. Camino is such a cool like world building planet of like still it's tapping into that sense of like undiscovered possibility of like nobody's ever been to this planet really it's off the charts there's like these weird flying manta things it's always raining there's these huge cities like 
just the sense of like scope and imagination that like George Lucas can create and tap into. I think that's a really good example of that in the prequel trilogy. I guess I got some attack of the clone thoughts really quick. Um, you know, this, this movie is what it is. I, I, in my opinion, it might be, I, I think it might be the least watchable of the three personally. Um, it, just because it, it's so much information that really amounts to nothing. Um, and the action sequences I find to be really like, kind of like removed and like heartless in a lot of ways. Um, but in particular, I'll, I'll return to that really briefly, but one thing that really perplexed me, and I want you guys to correct me if I'm wrong in my understanding of this is the, the whole like, um, the initial like, um, Padme being, um, whisked away to security detail by the two Jedi, um, and what goes on with the assassination plot therein. So as I understand it, what happens is these two Jedi go ahead and their security detail for her, um, Padme, who is the target of an assassination as has been established because her double was killed. Um, even though she was there with the double at the time of the assassination. Um, but my understanding is that they then use her as the bait to lure out an assassin, even though she may have other body doubles. And if she, even if she doesn't, it's still a terrible plan. And then what happens is Django Fett, who we learn is like all of these clones and a bounty hunter, um, hire outsources the job of killing her to an assassin who outsources the job to a droid. And when the droid fails to kill her, uh, both the Jedi give chase and hunt down the assassin, the hired assassin, not Jango Fett, which would give Jango a perfect opportunity to kill Padme unguarded. But instead he gives chase of them giving chase to his hired assassin. So he can kill the hired assassin. That doesn't make any fucking sense. (laughs) Django Fett was lazy as shit is what it sounds like and just wanted some money. (laughs) It sounds like the movie was just like too dumb to understand his own chess pieces because like, hey, you've got a perfect story here if a a, a failure of a droid outsourced by a failure of an assassin gives Django an unguarded opportunity to kill kill Padme. But we don't get that because this movie doesn't understand its own moving parts. Mm -hmm. And why does Obi-Wan dive out he says uh, anakin don't do anything rash you have to be calm like a jedi doesn't do anything crazy he dives out of a window to grab a fast moving droid when like the droid could have blew up or well, that's like- also a pretty big consistency with jedis is being like oh don't do this and then they go and immediately do that thing so it's like that actually like feels right to me <laughs> that's true as of these prequels it is established that they are ir- irresponsible in that way in terms of yeah. like uh, bad idea it would be to have him on the council. You may train him. It's like, what? <laughs> You're like, how? Why? <laughs> uh, this this movie is the phys- physical embodiment of the Yakety Sack song. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> uh, I've never seen anything quite like it. And I hope to never again. Yeah. Uh, some of the more like, emo- the scenes that are hinged upon as like the emotional pathos of this movie. Um, are of course, um, you know, the, the separation then after, after he fails to protect her basically is assigned to be her sole bodyguard, even though he's not a completely trained Jedi, um, to, to like, Oh, she's, they're trying to assassinate her. We got to get her out of here. Don't send her to, don't send her to the ice planet of Hoth. Don't send her out into the Dagobah system, the uncharted regions of this galaxy, send her to her home planet where she was once an elected queen question mark and is now the Senator of. And with the Jedi, who is not well-trained, 
and failed to protect her. What? And all that so we can get a roll in the hay, a literal roll in the hay while they're on Naboo, just rolling around amongst the giant bad CG pig monsters. And then ultimately the whole time he's basically saying to her, a diplomat, like, yeah, diplomacy would be great if it was exactly the way I wanted it. So he's just like some deplorable fascist asshole who's lecherous yeah. and weird. And like, you could you could make the argument that like, oh, this is his trajectory, though. This explains how he became Darth Vader. Darth Vader was never a lecherous creep. Like, he was never some weird, like, uh, oh, she feels uncomfortable. Uh, she turned off the camera because she's uncomfortable with me watching her sleep. Or whatever horrifying lines he delivers throughout the movie. It's like, there's, there, and I, I've never seen two actors with a romantic subplot clash against each other so coldly there is just no love between these two actors playing these characters at all well they just didn't know how to write like a love story for them and it's like it's a thing where i'm like am i supposed to want these people to be together or am i supposed to like recognize that this is like a toxic relationship from the beginning like i don't know what they want me to gain from that it feels like they want me to think it's romantic but like right. everything else about it kind of begs to differ like my skin isn't even crawling it's sprinting away from my bones watching him perform <laughs> uh, this when movie. he when he just like like touches her with his finger like down oh. her back or whatever i'm like oh. There's I also, like physically like bleh, every time. <laughs> and there's also like by contrast to uh, Phantom Menace, where like the score does play like an emotionally resonant role. There's one scene where he when he actually leans in to kiss her, yeah, and the entire score drops out to the point that like it might as well be a record scratch. <laughs> no, I shouldn't have done that. I couldn't, I had to rewind it because I was like, wait, really? So the movie's like emotionality is telling me that this relationship isn't supposed to work, but I know it does because otherwise this movie isn't this movie and doesn't fit into this franchise. It's not really a mystery. Everyone knows that I'm going to the dark side. It's kind of like the Titanic sinking. Yeah. Which I also feel the same way, interestingly enough, about um, the pre-arena sequence, um, which is like the two of them and Obi-Wan... our, our three main characters in this franchise are all like bound and are about to be uh, subjected to these, these monsters in an arena. Um, and it does the, uh, uh, what is it? Natalie Portman says something to the effect of like, I truly and deeply love you. And there's kind of no response on his part. Now this ties back to George Lucas's ring theory thing, where all of this is mirroring the stuff from the other second movie. Again, it's like poetry. So if they rhyme. So this is supposed to be, via what he how he explains it is supposed to be the moment where han solo captured uh by vader because of lando's betrayal is about to be frozen in carbonite and we have leia's exchange with him that is i love you i know and there's so much humanity to that because we don't know whether or not we're ever going to see han solo again and they're finally confessing a forbidden or like reluctant love that they feel between each other in the way that this movie tries to frame it but the difference is that I know these characters are going to be fine. It's kind of like the Titanic sinking. And I know the story will play out, even to the degree that when they are each individually chained up against three individual, like, CG monsters, and it becomes, like, this weird, like, rogue gallery of, like, interspecies, like, uh, uh, gladiator stuff. It's like, I know they're all going to survive, 
And instead of like the Rancor sequence in, uh, in Return of the Jedi, where it's one practical effect monster fighting one character, it's three characters that we all know are going to live fighting individually rendered CG monsters that don't look very good. And like the writing for an empire, Lord's Kazan's script is like great if Hal portrays Leia and Han. Yeah. Like they're back and forth. And like that script does such a good job of like, that's a great example of like how you separate characters at the midpoint of your story. So they go on separate adventures and how they come back together. Every single Star Wars movie that tries to do that fails epically except for Empire Strikes Back. Well, and they try to make, like, Padme a comparable character. Like, they try to make her kind of a badass that, like, does, like, try to go off on her own and just is like, fuck this. Like, we have to get, we have to do this. I like when she's, like, when they're taught, like, um, Anakin and um, Obi-Wan are, like, talking about how to escape and she's, like, already figuring it out and, like, up on top of the fucking thing. But I'm like, how am I supposed to believe that this badass lady fell for this creep that is significantly younger than her <laughs> no boy. Mm-hmm. it's so icky i mean you know it happens badass ladies fall for people that are really shitty but it just does not nothing about it makes sense to me but especially when yeah what when it's predicated on her being a badass through her dedication to the yeah. senate and then she falls in love with an empirical fascist yeah like uh, that she can change is- him <laughs> Right, which isn't the same thing of, like, mutual self-discovery that we get no. with Han and Leia. Instead, it's no. like, we already know how this is going to play out, so why not write it poorly? <laughs> Again, it's like poetry. It's chargers. Well, and, like, if you're trying to pull up the threads of, like, in wartime, like, people make rash decisions about love, their life is on the line, adrenaline, why not have them be constantly harassed by separatists as she's trying to hide? Their ship gets boarded. They have which to would escape. make an awful lot more plan. sense. Right. And then they finally re-end up back at Geonosis. Like, oh, I really don't see any way out of this. Like, we've had all these huge, ten life-threatening moments together. Um, it's just, it's like, why just have them roll around in a field, like, with no stakes Honor, your all? dogs have much more chemistry than Padme <laughs> and Anakin do. They do. Watching them They're in the background, playing like, right now. can I get three episodes of this instead, please? I know. It's, it's so good. <laughs> I, um, I can't blame Padme in some ways because, like, those baby blues, like, you know, it's just, like, <laughs> attractiveness. But, like, like I don't know. <laughs> I could kind of see it. I could. But it's the baby blues of someone who is basically saying democracy has failed and should be what I want. It's falling in love with a fascist. I mean, <laughs> sometimes it is what it is. I think, um... <laughs> The one scene that I think Hayden Christensen does really well, and this is maybe one of the best scenes in the whole movie, is after he's brought his mom back, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second, uh, and buries her. Oh, he goes God, up yeah, to I the grave. He goes up to the grave. He sits down and he grabs a handful of sand, which is he after hates. the whole sand bit, which he hates. And he like feels that you see it moving his fingers, like the coarseness, the roughness. And I was like, it's a stupid setup, but I think in that moment of that stupid, like that's, I think, a good sense of payoff of like him tapping. It's a great way to visualize him tapping into his anger and his frustration. Like a really good, it's a very small moment, not obvious, but I think George did a good part with that one, (laughs) that five second part. I guess I see what you're going for if you're going to do the legwork of like figuring that out for him. Right. You know? And And if sand is his whole metaphorical frustration that is the physical embodiment of everything that he hates that's a good payoff of that idea and it's functionally like in that conversation the stupid line um it's it's him talking to padme about how she this is naboo this is my home this is like this 
place where there's this interconnectivity through nature and like there's this embrace of water and like and just being connected to one's origins and so on. And by contrast, Anakin, who was raised a slave on Tatooine, um, like resents sand and what it represents for, for him as a person. I, I, I recognize that's the character dynamic in play, but it's delivered through... I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. Yeah. I feel like off screen, he and Padme are just like hate fucking in a sandbox or something. It's, <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> the only, it's the only explanation. Yeah. Yeah. I might watch that. Like <laughs> those baby blues. <laughs> the smile also. He's an attractive man. She's also very attractive. Yeah. All, of her, all of her outfits in this movie are amazing. I love every single True. one of them. True. But that's besides that, it's like what what's happening? <laughs> and then um, I, guess, I do also okay. really another thing that I like is Obi Wan's the Triangle Jedi Starfighter. Right, right. You know, it has the hyperspace ring. Like I think that's a cool. Oh yeah. Like, throughout the movie, there's really good spaceship design. Like the her, um, Naboo, kind of like queen ship. Like I think ship design is something. Like design has always been. In George's wheelhouse. Yeah. Except for all of the creatures yeah. in episode one. But ship design is really on point throughout the whole trilogy. Which is good because set design isn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I had one more note on this movie in particular, and that is that um, what this movie, it, for me, is supposed to represent within the, the you know trifecta of this trilogy is uh, Anakin waffling because of like his own anger and emotional attachment. That's supposed to be this this whole the whole crux of this movie, really. Um, and the way it's portrayed, of course, is um, he and Padme, who are in hiding, decide like, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we're not going to co- consult anybody. We'll just leave the planet we're in hiding from and go to Tatooine, your home planet, where right. he discovers after a decade of him being away on other planets, his mother bound and tortured and his arrival just in time for her to die. <laughs> after 10 years of torture, apparently. Which then is yep. supposed to be like this dynamic like emergence of the duality of his character. Is he is he a Jedi who uh, tries to disassociate from attachment through his kind of like monastic principles and neutrality? Or is it uh, this character that is bound by emotional attachment and, and the struggle between the two? And it's conveyed in this movie in a series of lines that are, I think, no less than a few moments away from each other when he's describing uh, killing uh, the Tuscan Raiders who killed his mother. Um, he goes from saying, I should be all powerful. I'll stop people from dying. Right into, <laughs> I slaughtered them like animals. I hate them. It's like... <laughs> that's mind-blowingly bad writing. Again, it's like poetry. I mean, that's definitely something that was written in a lot of dudes' high school like notebooks, <laughs> I think. But... <laughs> And I, I see how it, it, it speaks to his character as, like, an emerging fascist, but, like... No, that's bad. You're right. You put some daylight in between those scenes. That's too <laughs> sudden. Um, so I suppose that's it for Attack of the Clones that I had oh, as far as notes. Unless, oh, go ahead, please. <clears throat> well, so I feel like I'm a broken record sometimes, but the 2D Clone Wars show... That uh, Jendi Tarakowski, the guy who created Samurai Jack. Oh, created. I want to watch that. I've heard it's, it's so great. good. It's all. It's just. Yeah. I think it's like an hour and a half total. Hour forty. It's all on YouTube. It started as basically commercials for Episode Two, 
five minute little episodes. And then before episode three, there were like 15 minute episodes that kind of lead into it. And the storytelling is so superior in those. And the visual style of, of Tarakovsky's like animation is so striking. And in that, you see Anakin go through the trials, uh, his Jedi trials, which is like so interesting to watch. And that's where you really see the evolution mm-hmm. of like his rage and how he learns to tap into the dark side. There's this moment in his final trial and the Jedi have to go through trials, which I wish we could have saw Obi-Wan's. That probably would have been cool. Um, he has to like essentially break into this camp. You know, the, um, the alien guys that have like the metal things that they have to twist big green guys. like the Oh metal, yeah. 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 Uh, the techno union. He has to break yeah. into a techno union facility because they're experimenting on these locals on this planet and turning them to these monstrosities for labor. He has to break in and then they have uh, metal arms attached to them and he has a robotic arm. And so yes, like there's all this great symbolism and he like murders so many of these techno union guys because of what they've done. That one 15 minute episode is such a great encapsulation of how Anakin taps into the dark side of the force to get what he wants because he is driven by emotion and he is driven by anger, which is just shown in the most stupidest way possible. Again, it's like poetry. That actually kind of ties into what I was going to, what I was going to talk about, I guess, toward the end, but it's actually more appropriate here as it applies to uh, attack of the clones and clone wars. It's like, uh, as I understand it, I mean, and as you guys have, have all said, the clone wars series is amazing. Like it's really well written, well animated. tells tells the story of uh, Anakin training under uh, under Obi Wan and having this push and pull dynamic with his emotions versus his cause, and seeing the two of them transcend the um, the uh, mentor apprentice relationship and actually become friends. And and you're watching Anakin also like have an apprentice um he's training ahsoka which is like really interesting to also have anakin who is like you know about to become darth vader training this young jedi which is like a fucking fascinating concept um but yeah it's interesting because like even like clone wars is fantastic but like even like i think i was still in the middle of clone wars when i rewatched um attack of the clones and like those, like those two Anakin's are totally different Anakin's, which is like kind of weird. Like they, it doesn't. A lot of stuff lines up really well. That does not line up. Like the Anakin in the movies is just like all shit. <laughs> like, which is yeah, sort of. I I guess my my thought on it is like it sounds. I have not seen the Clone Wars, but I know a lot of the a lot of the major like plot points and beats. Uh, and it seems like it explores expertly what this movie should have explored. Yeah. Which like I think. Though I, I recognize like everyone's want to incorporate all of the Star Wars media into the canon um, with things like Clone Wars or um, the Mandalorian or things like the the um, the new trilogy. And it makes sense to incorporate them all. Um, but I don't think those things enhance the quality of these original movies in and of themselves in any way. I think it takes the it does the legwork that these movies didn't do to explore something well which I think says nothing about the quality of these films. Um, it's, no. it's, sort of, it's sort of a little bit like saying like the, the reverse of that logic is like John Carpenter's uh, 1978 original Halloween isn't a good movie because Halloween H2O eventually came out. It's like you can't after the fact retcon quality into these movies. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't think it's made the movies better, but it's made 
them more interesting to watch. Um, it made it made me like that time more at a time when I was feeling really disappointed in Star Wars because like after watching Clone Wars, which is fantastic and you should just watch because it's great and not to make this better. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mandalorian, I honestly truly believe now that Star Wars is best as a TV show mm-hmm. in that form. I feel like overall, like it's... Now, unfortunately, they've proven with more movies than not that, like, they don't do a great job sometimes trying to make more Star Wars movies. Um, Sure. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. But nice that we get all this cool, like, new media. Um, Like, Clone Wars, like, saved Star Wars for me because I fucking hated Return... uh, Fucking Rise of Skywalker. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Okay. Well, that leaves us with uh, the one last movie in that, uh, Revenge of the Sith. The third installment. Anybody have any uh, any real resounding positive thoughts about this movie? I love this movie. <laughs> I, I like it a lot. It's kind of nostalgic for me because I saw it in the drive-ins with uh, my best friend. Honestly, like the memory is almost completely lost to me, but I remember like the, the, the very end when it's like, I don't have the high ground and like, I brought peace, <laughs> Justin, <laughs> whatever. Like just like vivid memories of that part. And I, I, I don't know. It's similar to attack of the clones. Like I have fun watching it and I'm not really bored when I'm watching it, which mm-hmm. like I, I felt that throughout episodes one and two okay um i i i think this is probably my second favorite but it still feels so long and boring at times so it's like really hard um but i i do think they try to do more of like just because i watched this one like a few months ago and especially this place and time in the world right now, it felt very, like, appropriate where it feels like we're living in a democracy that is turning into, like, a fascist state. Um, So there is some stuff that's like, whoo, this is, like, right on on the money here. But um, I also think, like... A, a lot of people posted this, like, with stuff going on over the past months, but Padme has, like, one of the best lines in this movie, uh, which is, like, oh, so this is how democracy dies with thunderous applause. And it just fucking rocks my world all yeah, the time. It's, it's really good. I really love it. Um, and I, I also do like Ewan McGregor's performance towards the end. It does feel, like, really heartbreaking um, when he's screaming, like, you were the chosen one. Like, it actually gets me. I love you. Whatever he says. Um, and then because Anakin's such a little bitch, it also makes me happy to just see him turn into pure charcoal at the end of the movie. So, <laughs> Yeah, one thing I will say that I wish this movie would have done is ended a little earlier. I would have just like, if they ended right when the mask comes on, perfect. You would miss out on the no when oh, you know, he learns God. that Padme's dead. But, uh, but you know what? At what cost? <laughs> I know. It, it would have been better. Um, I'm glad you brought up the kind of like contemporariness of it because I definitely felt that that felt like a new feeling kind of watching it. Yeah. And then I was watching some, I was on, I just watched a whole lot of YouTube videos talking about the prequels. And then I didn't realize that George Lucas was saying in an interview that 
not necessarily on purpose, but in the back of his mind, he was sort of viewing like Dick Cheney as the emperor and Anakin as oh, yeah. Um, like the power behind the man. Like, and so it's interesting to think about Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith sort of existing in this war on terror kind of world that wasn't really there when Lucas was writing episode one. But I was going to say who especially had uh, the idea for this franchise well before that administration, supposedly. So, okay. (laughs) So uh, it's just interesting to think about like who's really in charge. And especially when Palpatine says, I am the Senate. Like I can see Mitch McConnell saying that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's also a funny note about like this movie and Clone Wars. So this is the movie where uh, Anakin kills Grievous. Um, and so there's a line at the beginning of the meeting, right? Isn't it Dooku? He kills or, Dooku. Grievous? Grievous. Oh, no. Grievous is Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan, him, yeah. Obi-Wan kills Grievous in this one though, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, Which is the only one he's in, Grievous. Yeah, so yeah. Grievous has a line where he's like, ah, like, Anakin Skywalker, we finally meet. And so, like, because of that moment in Clone Wars, they can never have Anakin <laughs> and him, like, fighting against each other throughout an entire war. So there are moments where they're, like, on the same ship. And in that episode, Anakin's like, cool, I'm going to go downstairs. And then, like, Obi-Wan <laughs> goes and fights him. It's so funny just to try to keep continuity with the movies. It's it's so funny. Which is why it is, in a sense, just as well. Because Grievous, yeah. though, I think is an amazingly designed character. Yeah. He's, he's, he's the third movie's Darth Maul. He's an amazingly yeah. designed character who we learn nothing about. Yeah. Especially because the movie starts with the scrawl that like, oh, Grievous has kidnapped Pal- or Dooku is and Grievous have kidnapped Palpatine. It's like, okay, first of all, I don't know who Grievous is. Second <laughs> of all, he's been kidnapped within the last movie and this one, and like, I, I need more information than a crawl for this. <laughs> and that's where the to if I can talk about the two D Clone Wars again. That's how the two D Clone Wars ends. It's this 20-minute episode. It's two, I think it's like two 20-minute episodes of Grievous and the Separatist attacking Coruscant. Oh, and, and that then, connects to mm-hmm. weird. And okay. so the reason why Grievous coughs is because Mace Windu uses Force Bind on his chest as he's like carrying Palpatine out. So that's why he's coughing in it. Which is cool, but has nothing to do with the movies that came before them. But it was only something that kids <laughs> like me watching Toonami saw. Like, <laughs> had any know, context cause, for. Because I get pissed off with that shit with, like, the Marvel Universe, where I'm supposed to watch every movie mm-hmm. and watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and all this stuff. But at least we live in a world where, like, people know that. We're like, oh, like, you'll get more information if you watch these things. Where it's like, yeah, I didn't know to watch the fucking little commercials they were making on Toonami before I saw Star Wars. That's crazy. Which you shouldn't. It's cool, but you also you shouldn't, shouldn't have, have to. to. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> I, I agree. Uh, and in that, to just go back to Grievous, in that in that um, 2D show, he is he's basically um, he's a slasher villain. The way that he stalks, mm-hmm. he barely talks in it, um, and he is so effing intimidating. And in that 2D show, rated Y seven for kids, he straight up just murders tons of Jedi. With, um, and it's it's really scary when he introduces like that's like super scary as like a kid that was like oh you, like this guy doesn't mess around and then in the Clone Wars 3D animated show he's like a big butt of the joke the whole time so I feel yeah. like Grievous only got his due 
in those like three, two or three 20 minute 2D episodes in 2005. Oh, that's so weird. Yeah. Well, so this movie does nothing to teach us about Grievous. Um, the one thing, the one laugh that I really got out of the movie was uh, when he's first facing up against Obi-Wan uh, or so, uh, no, his first, uh, when he's first dealing with Anakin and Obi-Wan. Um, he uh, has both of their lightsabers confiscated and says, uh, says at that point, like, Ah, these will make an excellent excellent addition to my collection. And he puts the two lightsabers in his jacket alongside one other one. <laughs> it's like quite a collection he's got running. These are people that can move things with their minds. <laughs> well, also, what's your plan? You're just going to carry around tons of lightsabers and you're just like dragged down the whole time you're fighting? Like, what? Obviously, that? like that's part of his thing. <laughs> which I guess is why we have the payoff ultimately when Obi-Wan fights Grievous, which is, I think, pretty cool for all of like 12 seconds, maybe. Because yeah. like the first part where he's like displaying that like, oh, I've got four arms. I can use all four of these lightsabers. And it's, weird, it's a weird lawnmower kind of thing. I'm like... That's awesome. But then we have to have a lightsaber fight and I'm not going to care, especially because Obi-Wan is so adept at just shaving off hand by hand and lightsaber by lightsaber as they fight. So there's no real tension to him using lightsabers at all. And also, and I just keep then, thinking of the TikTok you sent me of them in Target. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love what that has spawned recently. It's like a resurgence of that. Hello there. <laughs> Get a little Kenobi. And people just like... <laughs> Very funny. Also, Dave, you saying Obi-Wan just like slicing off hands. I forgot to mention this. Something deeply disturbs me about Anakin's robot hand. There's something looking at it like in you see it in Attack of the Clones, right? It's like at the end. I don't know what it is, but it just like I want to unzip my skin and step out of it. I, I, I don't know why, but it's just like deeply unsettling. It's definitely like a Terminator hand. In Star yeah. Wars. Oh, man, that's funny. What uh, kills me with that Grievous moment, Dave, you just brought up, is when he does, and this is in the Red Letter Media reviews, um, when he does unfurl all his lightsabers, because it's just Ewan McGregor staring at a tennis ball on a pole in a, in a blue room, he doesn't react at all. There's no reaction <laughs> to this, like, because we've seen one lightsaber in... The three movies and the two movies. Now we see four at one time and two with Darth Maul, four at one time. Now there's no no reaction. He's just like, what the fuck am I looking at right now? Yeah. <laughs> it's like this this movie, these the last uh, Attack of the Clones in this one really made me feel for Ian McKellen when he wept on the set of The Hobbit because he mm-hmm. had no set to work with. Oh. <laughs> Which is like how you get this kind of movie, honestly, among other I, things. As I was marathoning... The, la- the end of Phantom Menace and, the- and episode two and three, I just kind of felt so beat down by it that I was just like letting it just wash over me. And I was like, whatever, this is just, I'm just, just whatever. And then I forgot how long the final fight is between Obi-Wan and Anakin. When they're on Mustafar and the lava and they're here and they're there. It's cool though. It's, it's cool. just so long. Oh, and like they say, you were my, he says you were my brother, Anakin. But, like, he uh, just forechoked his pregnant wife. And and she's up there, just, yeah. like, fucking choked. And on they're fighting planet. on a lava planet. And and they're just like, oh, man, what the fuck? Let's go fight over there. And it's like, no one's going to take care of this pregnant woman? Are you kidding me? Also, can we just talk about the fact that, like, why did she die? Like, I know, and like, the broken heart. But come on. Oh. Come on. Come she wasn't, because she wasn't in the sequel, mo- the, the original trilogy. Yeah, and because so if she annoying. dies, 
And because if she dies during childbirth, it doesn't make any sense that Leia has memories of her mother. So why not throw that out the window too? Go ahead, Sam. Adding to man pain, and I don't like when women just serve that purpose to add to man pain. And it's like they didn't even have a good reason for her dying. So they just were like, oh, she has a broken heart. And it's like, that's not a fucking no. thing. She's Shut up. Senator, fuck off. <laughs> I know. She's a badass senator. She would not have fucking died because her husband was evil. She would have just been like, all right, great. I'm just going to like, I don't know. like Fight you myself. A, yeah, I'm just going to destroy you. <laughs> Which is another huge character flaw of this movie in the sense that like, we've just seen her be like as badass as she's going to be in the second movie. Yeah. And in this one, basically, like, she's pregnant and is a non-character until she's killed. And she, they also still, though, have the audacity to give her the Leia, uh, like, you know, uh, hairpiece kind of thing with the buns on the side. She is not Princess Leia, especially in this movie. They give her, they treat her, George Lucas treats her like shit in this movie. She is yeah. the crying pregnant lady. Yeah, in this movie, yeah. and that's all she's good for, and dies. That's yeah. all that she's good for. In this she's game. a plot Sucks. device, and it's bullshit. And she deserves way more than that. Big also, time. what's the time? This Virgin of the Sith is like what two weeks max, and she goes from yeah. "Hey, Anakin, I'm pregnant" to like here are some eight nine month old babies I'm popping out. <laughs> the timeline is. I remember when we watched this. I was like, wait. Like, how long has this been taking place? Like, I'm so confused. And I'm still unclear. And the Clone Wars confirms how short of a timeline it is, the TV show. Yeah. Because that show ends with Order 66 happening. And so you see the last time Anakin sees his apprentice Ahsoka, and then, like, an episode later, Order 66 happens. Yeah, he's like, oh, I'm bad now. Bye. (laughs) I guess... Uh, I do have one more little tirade uh, because the, by the time I got to this movie, I was so tired of watching these movies and it was just like, all right, let's just get through this. But one thing that did consistently bother me, and this is something that's touched on a little bit with the red letter media reviews and everything. Um, but just like what lightsaber battles mean and, and the value and, and substance they're supposed to have as devices for character rather than spectacle. We have the uh, like the original trilogy where in which there are very few lightsaber battles, but every one of them, we're learning new information as are the characters in real time. And it's, it's not some gratuitous, like backflipping Mortal Kombat scenario. It's like a very practical sword fight enhanced by the, the, uh, the spectacle that is a lightsaber battle. But it's mostly about how those characters react to dialogue in the midst of a lightsaber battle. It's about an exchange of information. Mm. It's about learning who these characters are and what this battle means to them, especially in, in the sense that like with the return of the Jedi, where we see Luke getting more and more desperate and more and more frustrated and taking it out on him in a, in a way that compromises his technical ability, but also exposes his inhumanity in a moment of weakness toward his own father who himself succumbed to that. Like that's a really interesting way of using mm. a, a sword fight as a framing device for exploring character. In these, it's just spectacle. They yes. never talk during lightsaber battles. We never learn the tension behind the lightsaber battles. And the only time that there is any payoff with a lightsaber battle in these movies for me is the very end of this one where we have that iconic moment. Uh, Anakin is no use. I have the high ground. And then the exchange that follows. <laughs> By the way, uh, Anakin, I have the high ground doesn't really apply if the character saying it was hanging from a ledge and did a flip backflip over Darth Maul and then killed him in the first movie. Yeah. 
And they just backflip over each other for eternity, getting the high grounds. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, instead of, yeah, instead of the weight of a sword fight and like the weight of each blow representing character, it's yeah. basically just backflips on top of screensavers for 25 minutes, after which we have this really intense emotional moment that is really validating, but is completely unearned. Mm. Yeah. That's that's even something like I in the uh the new trilogy like one thing I liked was just that it felt like you got to see how taxing and exhausting a lightsaber battle was like Rey's constantly like doing that thing with her hands cuz it like hurts mm-hmm. cuz it's like yeah you're holding on like gripping on to this thing for a really long time and like fighting each other like it's taking like a physical toll on you and even that is like really good storytelling yeah. and it's like you don't yeah you like just don't really get much out of any of these battles in that way. Watching the prequels really makes me appreciate that the end fight in episode seven, when Finn, Ray, Kylo Ren fight, that it probably goes Empire Strikes Back finale fight, then maybe even that fight at the end of episode seven, just because mm-hmm. of the, as you mentioned, toward the physicalityness of it and people getting hurt, like Finn getting his shoulder almost cut off from the right. end of Kylo Ren's sword. Like people get damaged in. Like, Luke is all torn up at the end of episode five, that fight. Like, in this movie, it's like you're either totally fine and perfect or dead. Yeah. It's like one or the other. Like, nobody gets roughed up or bruised or in, it's either, like, injury and you're done for the fight forever or you're perfectly uh, fine. You know, like, he still got his, like, all of his appendages chopped off. Yes, somehow he still lives. So, you know, exception to every rule, I guess. <laughs> It's emo- It's an emotional, there's a lot of emotional pathos to that final confrontation after he's like slain, basically slain Anakin. But if, if that is the like 30 second catharsis after 25 minutes of wordless lightsaber battle, then it, for me, doesn't hold nearly as the weight that it should. It also feels a little bit like the um, scene in Monty Python when he's just cutting <laughs> off limbs. So I'm like, I shouldn't be thinking of like a comedy when I'm thinking of this moment, but that's like almost exactly what it looks like. Anakin, I have the high ground. It's just a flesh wound. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that scene should bring the house down every time. Yeah, like that should be true. some like Shakespearean epic catharsis yeah. of like brother against brother like yeah but for for me personally it's just not there you get yeah. obi-wan at the beginning of attack of the clone saying oh that nesta gundarks <laughs> but like you <laughs> oh never see exactly they're like all, all their all the friendship all the adventures that bound them in friendship and uh, uh and their their training dynamic is off screen what kind of garbage is that <laughs> Yeah, he just Lucas just picked the wrong times to set these movies in, or at least maybe just episode yeah. two. It's it's a one. very strange timeline, and you're and like you know it starts with the first one where that doesn't even feel like it really needs to be a movie. No. Yeah. Ugh. Well, I think we've covered an awful lot of ground with these movies. Uh, does anybody have any kind of round off final thoughts about about the Star Wars prequels as they apply to? Uh, the franchise in general, or as they apply to its tangential, like um, uh, retcon fran- uh, spinoff franchises or anything, or or do we think these movies are just simply what they are, and maybe with a strong cup of coffee, you go back and yeah, you give them another look? Yeah, I mean, it's they're probably things like I'll rewatch every like once in a while just to like be like, oh, like how do I feel about these, and you know, with new eyes, which is always interesting, but. Yeah, I mean, in in general, I feel like I'm a little 
overall sick of the the Skywalker saga and I'm like ready to move on. But like if you if you haven't watched The Mandalorian or Clone Wars, like it's fantastic. And I think it really is like a great way to like renew your excitement about Star Wars. Um, we're going to watch Rebels soon, which I've also heard is amazing. So we're going to start that, which I'm really excited about. So, you know, not all of it, good, but it's all Star Wars and I want there to, to continue to be Star Wars. So. <laughs> I think for me, two of the most significant events in my movie enjoyment life. First one was um, watching Ang Lee's, what was that, 2004 Hulk movie? And laughing yeah. at the movie. Oh, okay, I was wondering where you're realize, going. That. Realizing that movies can be bad. Mm. That was the first time little 2004 year old me was like, wow, movies can be terrible. That was and when then, Phantom Menace, yeah, exactly. And then discovering the red letter media reviews um, in high school, and that really opened it making me fall in love with cinema again, which is something that I really hadn't by watching those movies, the critiques, and then really going from just movies are cool to like really being able to understand why movies are cool. So the prequels are there for that as like a lesson of how movies can be bad, how movies can work, lessons to learn. So um, it gave me that. So I'm definitely grateful for George Lucas and everything he's done. Um, and for these movies to be valuable lessons in how I in how I look at other movies. Yeah, I mean, for me, I came into this as an adult. Star Wars was my Miss the Boat franchise. So, you know, all of this is, it's it's not as new to me now, but it's still re- like relatively new in comparison to you folks. But, um, you know, the prequels feel to me very similar how the Twilight movies feel. They're terrible, but when you put them on, they are a ride, they are a journey, and they are funny because they are bad. And so I feel that way about episodes two and three. Episode one, you can't catch me ever watching again. I will not. I just won't. I didn't rewatch it for this. I could not. I could not do it because I had rewatched it recently, like within the past year. And I was like, nah, uh-uh. Um, but one last thing I wanted to talk about is like the, the prevalent racism that still exists in Star Wars. And so mm-hmm. something I didn't mention before, and I, I cause I forgot about it, but in uh, Phantom Menace, there's an outfit that Padme wears that is also like cultural appropriation. It's like, a geisha it's- outfit. Yeah, it's it, but that, and then there's also another one where like they changed the texture of her hair. Oh right, they right. put it, and oh. I was so offended by so much of that movie. But even that, I was like nasty, and it it tracks like through all of the prequels really. But then like you know, you would think it gets better in the sequels because uh, you know you have like characters of color and you have a diverse cast but you know how the how the lucas films and everyone else let the fans dictate the content like you had an incredibly interesting character in finn like a stormtrooper that like goes rogue and all of this and then you don't do a single thing with him because racist fans didn't like him that's bullshit and same thing with Kelly Marie Tran. 
that is a waste. And I mean, like, you know, Kelly Marie Tran really existed as a, like a no homo for uh, Finn and um, Poe. Which, so, like, like should have gone with the Poe and Finn love story because yeah, they had be so much chemistry. Yeah. Why yeah. would you just throw that chemistry away? How dare you? Right. So it's like uh, homophobia here also. Like there is the, the no homo that they pull. I mean, Marvel has done the same thing too. Um, and it's because they don't want to lose money by like not being able to show it in China. So mm-hmm. there's that to recognize. Um, and, and even all the way through Rise of Skywalker, it's so fucking disappointing that even still in 2016 to fucking 2019, like racism drives these characters. And in, in like in not direct ways, but in ways that like representation like matter. Yeah. And I mean, it's like not just Star Wars. It's like a lot of big budget Hollywood shit, you know, like this is just like the industry fucking sucks. Yeah, no, I mean like Marvel is probably the guiltiest of all of this. Yeah. So definitely, but it's just like disappointing. I know. Especially because like the originals, they're – they're good and like I can't right now recall like anything that like really stood out to me that like were like moderately racist like I, I like I can't recall any of that so the fact that it just suddenly popped up in the prequels is like the fuck yeah you yeah. didn't need to do this yeah yeah which I guess for me is the the story of the Star Star Wars prequels in in shorthand summary you you didn't need to do this we know this story you, if if you're going to tell it and not add anything to it beyond what can fuel additional installments after the fact, then y- frankly, you're wasting my time as a filmmaker. And I, I do feel a little bit like I'm not I'm not one to like hold Star Wars to be like completely sacred, but I do feel like as a director, as far as the director fan base relationship and writer fan base relationship, I, I can think of few few writers and directors who have been crueler to their fan base than George Lucas was with these movies. It's really wholly inappropriate. It it shatters a lot of what, well, it doesn't shatter a lot of what made the originals good because that would, that's a whole different argument, but it's just in and of themselves as like a, another launching pad for this franchise. It's very clear that he just wanted to kind of like experiment with CG and make a fortune. And beyond that, maybe write two or three movies in a weekend and I, I just don't get much out of these. I don't understand. I, I, I don't judge, but I don't understand the the modern defense of these movies. I, I think that there's a lot to be said about nostalgia weighing in. And I think there's a lot to be said about the, the stuff that has been added after the fact that built on the foundation and did the heavy lifting that these movies didn't do. But I think if you go back and look at these movies with a fine tooth comb, or even just with like an adult critical lens, you'll find that there's really, you're, you're trying to squeeze blood from a stone. There's really not much here case closed yeah i guess that's that's sand is icky (laughs) and sand is icky (laughs) but the baby blues the baby blues bring you back oh i will say one actually one positive note and this is the big one for me with the whole franchise or at least the whole uh the prequel saga it's a really great piece of editing when uh anakin kills the younglings as they're known (laughs) because we can't we can't say killing children in a movie that's for kids even though this one's pg-13 and none of the rest of them are there's a really pretty brilliant piece of editing where uh like they're asking the younglings as they're termed are asking anakin like what the deal is and uh, right before it cuts we just see anakin activate the lightsaber at a downward angle in front of the kid and we know where that's going which is really great 
I mean, that's a really, really good and tasteful piece of editing as far as introducing that kind of idea into this. That being said, a few minutes later, the story goes that when, <clears throat> when Ewan McGregor had to talk to Padme about witnessing uh, Anakin doing that over the security feed, and he says, I witnessed Anakin killing younglings and draws his hand to his mouth. Apparently, the drawing his hand is, to his mouth wasn't in the script uh, in the sense that like it could have been, so it would have been like a highlight of like how emotionally painful it is. But apparently it's more so because Ewan McGregor, after multiple takes, kept drawing his hand to his mouth to, to hide a laugh at having to deliver <laughs> that line. Also, can we just talk about the Anakin killing younglings memes that have come from this movie? Because I think yeah. that that is something I'm really grateful for. <laughs> yeah. This movie's given, these movies have given us a lot of pretty good memes, a lot, yeah. which comes after the self-awareness of acknowledging what they are, I think. But yeah, yeah. definitely a lot of good ones. Very good. But what about the droid attack on the Wookiees? <laughs> is probably one of my favorites. I also, I, I feel like this is like a different conversation, but I just like, I want to have like a cross like mediums, like Star Wars conversation about how like the Jedi in general are fucking shit. Like the Jedi <laughs> Order is dumb and ridiculous and I want to like dissect the fuck out of it. Yeah, fair. Yeah. <laughs> That would be uh, our look into uh, into the prequel trilogy and uh, our look into the uh, expanding the Star Wars universe as these films claim to do and as uh, as following franchise actually did. Um, that uh, having been said, uh, I suppose we'll be joining you folks not uh, this coming week, but the week after, um, at which point we'll have something new to talk about and uh, some new topics. Uh, before we go, does anybody have anything that they would like to plug, recommend, or talk about? I mean, I'm always writing stuff at Cinema 76. I don't know what what date this will come out, but I have to review a movie called Diary. D-I-E-R-Y. So yeah. Diary. It's going to be real bad, but I'm excited about it. <laughs> nice. Well, of course, there are our socials. Butter with that podcast at gmail.com. Um, we've gotten a few responses to our guest survey. Yeah. Um, so if you're interested in guest starring, um, we'll probably be plugging that a couple times a month in case you folks want to fill that out. Um, cause we are changing our format as you've heard in the last episode, if you listened, kind of do like an every other week thing, megasode. So we got lots of time for guests if you want to pop on. Um, there's an exciting project in the works, I think with one guest in particular. So, mm. um, Look forward to that in the future. That's great. It's going to be great. That's going to be great. It's going to be great. That's going to be great.